For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. The Bad Brains with the new intro, courtesy of William Duvall. Sounding good, right? Sounding good. Welcome back to another episode of the show, episode 201. Last week was a doozy, episode 200. If you missed it, go back. Go back right now. Don't even listen to this. Just go back. Listen to 200. It was an amazing episode with William Duvall of Alice in Chains. And I mean, I thanked everybody last week, but I just want to thank everybody again, especially you for listening to this thing. Oh my goodness, man. 200 episodes. Woo. Well, we got a great episode today. Josh Ramsey of Mariana's Trench. Canada's finest. He's on the program. What a talent. What a story. A guy I have wanted to have on the show for a very, very long time. I'm so happy Josh was down to do it. And I'm so happy that you are here to listen to it. It is very cold outside. Pretty much wherever you live, it's cold. So whether you're in the car with the heat cranked or you're curled up, under a blanket at home. Sit back and enjoy, because this is a great episode. If you want to get in touch with me, it's real easy. You can email me, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. You can also add me on social media. It's at Shane Told. You can add the show. Just Google it, Lead Singer Syndrome. It'll pop right up there. And if you want to help out the show, we have an option for you. Money bags over there, yes. Uh, if you got money to burn and you want this thing to continue to go for 205, 210, 250, 300 episodes, 
Well, we need your help. And the best way to help is to join the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. I know I called you money bags a minute ago. I didn't mean it derogatory at all, okay? All you need is $6. $6 a month gets you in, and it really, really is the reason that I can keep doing this and bringing you the quality entertainment that I do week in and week out. And of course, the $6 it doesn't just go to me. You get a bunch of cool shit. Bonus content, merch, uh, patches shipped to your house, and you get to be a part of an amazing community of like-minded fans. The link to check it out, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. I'm going to say that link again, leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Seriously, check it out. If you like the show, please. This will always be free, but this is what keeps this thing on the air. Some quick news with my band Silverstein. We just launched our second live album, which is now available over at our store, which is silversteinstore.com. It is our entire first album live. And some of you may have seen us play it uh, earlier this year. And last year, we did a big tour celebrating 15 years of the album, which is called When Broken is Easily Fixed. And we recorded it at just about every night of the tour. And uh, we put together the best performances and we put together a really, really cool live album. And since that album is recorded, well, not the best, uh, you know, it was 15 years ago and we didn't know what the hell we were doing. It really is a cool, cool record. So if you're a fan of Silverstein, if you're a fan of our old stuff, definitely check it out. Silversteinstore.com. We're also going on tour real soon too. So go to Silverstein 20 because we're celebrating our 20th anniversary, bringing out bands like Four Years Strong and I the Mighty, friends of the show. I love them. You love them. It's going to be a good time. So Silverstein20.com for all your ticket needs. Well, that brings me to the end of the intro. So let's jump into it. And my conversation with Josh Ramsey of Mariana's Trench. Thanks for doing this. Um, it, it really is great to speak with you. I'm a huge fan of uh, of just your whole thing. <laughs> and when I mean, you know, your whole thing, um, just just your persona, uh, the way that you put together not only the songs that you craft, the albums you craft, uh, your stage look, the, the way you present yourself on stage between songs. I think it's a, a really, really cool um, just career that you've you know had for yourself now for what almost 15 years i guess right i mean since you've been you know making it so thank you thank you shit 
maybe I laid it on a little thick there. I, uh, but, but I mean it, you know, I, I, uh, I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time. So, so yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah. Thanks man. So, uh, first things first, October 3rd, Mariana's trench day. That's kind of a cool honor. Um, that was started by the, by the fans. Um, I, that was started by the fans because that, that was the date I think that our first album came out. Um, and just became this thing that like, I, I really had nothing to do with that. Um, but, uh, but they seem to enjoy it. So, Hey, sure. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I love it. So is that, is that a thing? Is that been a thing like ongoing for, for a few years? Cause, uh, is that a, like a thing you have to, you have to like put something out or like, you know, you're like expected, um, to do something every day, you know, every year. Okay. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess, I guess this year, I guess we released a, vi- a video on that day this year, I suppose. You did, um, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, that was, a, that was a funny, like, that was just like a fan thing that, that, um, got started and, uh, and they seem to continue to enjoy doing it. So, I mean, it's weird to be like, Hey, here's a, here's a day all about our stuff. Like that, that's kind of a weird concept for me personally, but you know, Hey, <laughs> what do I do? Sure. You know, absolutely, man. And the video, speaking of it, it's called don't miss me, uh, from your great new record phantoms. And the main, I mean, first of all, I love the turns that the video takes. Like it starts off like this sort of ominous dark video and it gets absolutely just- ridiculous. Yeah, I always kind of wanted to do, I, like, I've waited my whole career because I've always wanted to do, not necessarily a video about with puppies, but, like, <laughs> I've always wanted to take, like, a serious, like, ballad-type song and just do, like, the stupidest fucking thing I could think of with it as a video. So I was very excited <laughs> to finally do that. Well, it must have been difficult with all the dogs running around. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you're a dog person, if you own dogs yourself or anyone yeah, in your band I, does. I, I, yeah, I, I have two dogs. Um, one of them is in the, one of them is in the video. Um, oh, okay. right on, right on. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it was it was one of those days. Where, like the whole concept of the video was to the. It, it was a very simple idea. It was just it was three of us that came up with it. Um, it was myself, my girlfriend, and the director. And the idea evolved very quickly. It was just like okay, we're gonna the video is gonna start serious, and then. Uh, over a few seconds, then puppies are going to take over. And at first we're going to have fun with the puppies and then they're going to ruin the video. And then we're going to show, we're going to show that the crew can't keep the video going. And then the camera's going to fall over and puppies are just going to ruin everything. (laughs) It was like a 30 second concept. And then basically all of the scenes in it, um, basically like uh, Emma, the director, Emma and I just went on Amazon and we literally just like searched for puppy costumes and whatever came uh, we just, we had a green screen. So we just like kept putting puppies in different costumes and just improvising scenes. So like a good half of that video is just like improvised on the day. Yeah. Well, that's, that's always the best, the best videos always come out like that. Right. Because anytime it's, it's like you, you read a treatment and, and like, you know, I've, I've been doing videos. I don't know how many band, you know, videos my band's made probably like 20, um, at least. And every time it's like the director writes a treatment and it's like at, two minutes and 13 seconds, this is going to happen. And then it two, and then like the video is done filming and it comes out and you, you get like the first cut and you're like, this isn't at all what the fuck the treatment said. Oh yeah. What the hell so, is this? so why bother, you know, just like on the day, come up with like film some funny shit, some entertaining shit and just go with it. I, I totally, I totally love that. That's the approach you take. 
Did you ever see, um, at one point I saw um, Noel Gallagher talking about mu- making music videos because he, like, <laughs> he like famously fucking hates music videos. And he, his quote, was, it was something like, I hate that you have to get there at 5 a.m. and you don't leave until 5 a.m. the next fucking day. Uh, and somehow every shot is like, the most important shot and the director's acting like he's making apocalypse now. And like, actually we're just fucking around and lip syncing. I got No, it's true. And that's, that's probably the truest thing Noel Gallagher has ever said. Uh, (laughs) and and maybe easiest to follow, uh, as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true, man. And like, yeah, it's some of the things that, that you'll hear like a director, like arguing with the crew about like, you know, some lighting or some, bullshit and it's like god in the end you know it's like that shot's not even going to be in the video or if it is it's in there for like <laughs> a second so yeah, yeah i i really don't like making videos at all but uh i, 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 I mean it sounds it, like you you found a way to make it fun well i don't I, I actually don't mind it like i um the only thing the only thing that sometimes is like challenging for depending on what video we're talking about but like usually um usually i find that like i end up being a guy who has to go has to like get injured in some way or something like we do right like we did one video where um we did one video where it was supposed to look like we were in um in a house that was flooding but the way we shot it was we actually were outside and we built a set on top of a pool that we could just lower in and out of the pool okay yep Uh, yep that's cool but what that actually meant was that I just spent all day on set outside soaking wet in like the fucking wind. And it was just like, we had to eventually call it cause it started to get hypothermic by the end of the day. Cause I was like, I couldn't stop shaking and stuff. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah. It's brutal, man. We, we filmed one yeah. video one time on a frozen lake, like up in, I don't know, Perry sound or something, but oh, it was like, it wasn't February. It was like late March. So yeah. the ice was kind of sketchy. And of course the, um, the, uh, video involved us playing in like a, around like a, like a, uh, ring of fire, I guess. So right. I, the whole time we're worried about the ice and falling through the ice and someone came and checked the ice and basically said, yeah, I can't really say this is safe. So we went with that anyways, worried about falling through the ice. But what <laughs> happened was our drummer ended up getting uh, caught on fire. So, uh, yeah, by the, by the fire, we were, we didn't even think about the fire being dangerous. Um, He was okay, you know, but, but it's still like, yeah, videos can be dangerous because you're almost always putting yourself in some situation that's supposed to be, you know, surreal or like, you know, it's, it's just the nature of it. And especially, especially for us Canadians where we're not working with the, uh, Katy Perry level budgets and we're like. It's all yeah, fucking fly by night and uh, just trying to get it done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Another video story I'll tell you really quick. We we did this video and we were filming it in this like kind of decrepit like old house. And it yeah. looked pretty cool, but the floors were really sketchy and it had been raining. And uh-huh. uh, and everyone in the band, like I was filming something else, the band setting up the gear and uh, and the band kind of comes to me and is like, Shane, I don't think we can film like in this house that like it, it, the floors are sketchy. I'm like, ah, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And of <laughs> course I took a step the wrong way and I pogoed right through the floor and I, oh. fell, and I fell like from the main floor into like the basement or cellar of this like old shack. And I was fine. It was like, I like fell through the floor and was like, where'd, where'd everybody go? And, and uh, um, it's funny because, because that wasn't planned in the video or anything. But now it's all anyone talks about 
in the video because we put it in like so it's the last scene like I fall through at the very last minute and everyone's like oh, oh you guys like, kept it in the cut yeah we kept it it, it worked to, to keep in like the very last like it we, I fall through and then the video goes black so it's funny how the unexpected things in videos can can end up being like all anyone you know ends up talking about that's really funny <laughs> have you seen the video uh, or it was like a viral thing I saw of the woman on stage with Noel Gallagher playing the scissors no. <laughs> yeah, she's like in front of a mic, like with scissors, just like the sound of scissors, like you know, you know. like as a as a percussive as instrument. As a percussive or- instrument, yes, on stage. Yeah. This is a person. That's- she's getting a PD to do this, at least. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a bunk spot. <laughs> that is really, really funny. Yeah, it is. It is. It's definitely anyone listening to this. Definitely look up the uh, the lady playing the scissors for Noel Gallagher. It is. Uh. A hundred percent, hundred percent worth it. So uh, I want to go back to the beginning a little bit and, and talk about your origins. Vancouver's okay. finest dude, Vancouver, BC. I know your parents were musicians. I know you had yep. some trouble in school and, and actually involving like drugs. Uh, and you yeah. had kind of a tough upbringing, um, but you seem to turn out all right. So um, talk to me a little bit about the early days and, and obviously how music kind of seems like it was like a language in your house almost. I mean, how important um, it's been to you. It definitely was a language in our house for sure. Um, yeah, my mom, um, my mom had been a touring musician. Um, she was a background, she was a background singer in Leonard Cohen's band. Um, so she sort of spent the seventies on the road. Um, she yeah. had also all sorts of crazy stuff, man. She was like, she did the Leonard Cohen gig. She was in the original Muppet show when it was just a Vegas act. Uh, she had all sorts of crazy, crazy showbiz stories from my mom. Wow. Um, and then my dad, um, my dad was also like a true musician. He was a drummer and a singer and like a, like a jazz trio, like, you know, in like the sixties, those, those acts that were like, sure. you know, half, lounge, half lounge acts and half comedy, like those, those type of things. <laughs> Um, like a, like a Vegas lounge type gig. Um, so he, he was doing that. Um, and they met each other working on a CBC show that was like a variety show. Um, and then sort of my, my dad decided he wanted to get off the road and sort of my mom and my dad, um, and two of his buddies decided they were going to start writing, um, jingles for advertising. And then as stuff started to go better for them and they got more gigs, they decided they were sick of renting studio time places, so they decided to take out a big loan and build a studio. Um, but then the studio fucking blew up, and it ended up getting so busy that they were having to go and rent studio time at other places to record their jingles because, like, wow. such big band. Like, because it was it was um, like the the engineer that they hired was a then not known young talented man named Bob Rock. Oh my and, god, that's crazy. Yeah, I was going to think I was thinking of of Vancouver uh yeah. producers and I guess Bob Rock is obviously the one that comes to mind first. Um, yeah, so yeah, for most people Bob was including like the, me. Yeah, Bob Maybe was Garth like Richardson. the house. Yeah, sure. And they <laughs> they all worked there. The studio was called Little Mountain and they all worked there. Um and uh so it was like they built the place to do advertising but and then bob was like can i bring in bands on the weekend but then it was like metallica and like it's kind of like really cool so when i was a kid um by the time i this all happened before i came around so when i was a kid if i went to work with my dad it was like you know it would be like bon jovi was recording or brian adams or aerosmith or like any of like all all of those acts that all, all recorded at that studio um and then all of the singers 
my mom had gotten off the road and become a vocal coach. So all those singers that while they were recording at little mountain, they would also be coming to our house and uh, taking lessons with my mom. Um, so I, I like not, not bullshit. I like, I just thought like, as a young kid, I just thought when you grow up, you become a successful musician. Like I thought that's what, <laughs> I thought that's what like every adult did. And like, it made it seem super realistic to me because I like all of my examples of adults were that. And like, once I was like, you know, seven or eight, I started to figure out that there were like other professions and stuff, but like, I was kind of already <laughs> locked in at that point. That's interesting. You must've had a different, and maybe you still do have a different impression of what like a rock star is because you got to see the the personal side of them, like who they are and, and all that, you know, whereas when I was your age, like growing up in the Toronto suburbs with no connection to the music industry whatsoever from my family or anything, you know, I would look at, you know, you bring up Brian Adams, who's one of my favorite singers of all time. Like I would never be able to just like, that guy's like, that guy's not even like a human being to me. He, that guy's just like, he's like a God, you know what I mean? Uh, or Steven Tyler or whoever, man, you know? Um, so that, that must be, I don't know. You must've had a different mentality, I guess, than, than other people, you know, that were not yet yeah. successful in, in, you know, I, music I think or like, getting to it. I'll tell you one thing that really taught me uh, from a young age. Um, to me, it like, fame or like rock star or whatever, like that never held any mystique to me. Like right, that, that, exactly. was, that, yeah. that never held any mystique to me. Um, and it still doesn't. <laughs> no, like, I, I like it de definitely taught me to be like, not one of those quote unquote showbiz people. Like I like there's, there's a, there's a lot of uh, entitled people once you get to that level. Um, but you know what, man, speaking of Brian Adams, I, um, I had never seen him before and a friend of mine had a box to go to see his show. So my girlfriend and I went along and saw him and this was like this, this year or yeah, yeah. I, I saw him this year. year too, or last year. Yeah. I saw, I think, um, and I had never seen him before. Yeah. I had never seen the guy before. I, he fucking came out. He, he, he goes for no opening act and he goes for like, two and a half hours and I've never bought one of his albums and I knew every fucking song. I was like, holy shit, dude, what a catalog. And oh, he yeah. still sounds exactly the same. Like, like I wouldn't have expected a smoky uh, voice like that yeah. to have held up over time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like, he fucking sounds as good as he ever sounded on any of the recordings. Like, I, I have no idea how he has managed to maintain his voice that way, but like, that dude is for real some shit. Yeah, absolutely. I actually saw him. Uh, I live in Windsor now. I saw him at the okay. Caesars, uh, Caesars Windsor, which I think you guys played uh, yeah. too. I remember seeing you guys in the casino, like uh, on the, on the posters and uh, yeah, it was the same thing. I, I think the door, like the ticket or whatever said like seven o'clock. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, and I got there at like seven fifteen, and I was like missing the first, I missed like the first song. It's like, this is yeah. like, what show actually, it's like, I'm not going to a movie. Fuck, even movies yeah. have previews. So I, I, you know, yeah. I, I was so, so surprised, but, but you're right. Like he just played like banger after banger. And in fact, I remember like in the first, let's call it, yeah, half the show, he'd already played like heaven and everything I do and uh, run to you and cuts like a knife. Like he'd play all these hits. And I was like, shit, I think he's like played everything. And then you're right. They just kept coming. And, and then it I was like, different. yeah. And even some of his newer songs, which I didn't think I knew, I guess just being Canadian, you just, 
you you hear him at the bay or something when you're shopping at Christmas. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't know, but, but yeah, he he's he's incredible. Um, yeah, he is. Uh, growing up though, was there anybody that came through you know one of the studios or or took lessons from your mom where you were like, holy shit, this like this guy's in my house, or was that like you just no because I didn't. No, well, I didn't. I didn't understand. Like, like that was just like always a reality in our house. So, like, I actually, I like, I didn't understand the concept of like famous people and that kind of. I like, I didn't get it. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So, so talk to me about like you're going to school, um, and I guess I don't know. You're getting into trouble in school. I mean, I read on just literally on your Wikipedia that you know you were like addicted to heroin at some point when you were a teenager. That's, yeah, that's like, true. That's really, I mean, Vancouver is known for that stuff, um, sadly. Uh, but, you know, that hasn't been, I haven't heard you talk about that really much in interviews, like in any great, you know, uh, uh, level I mean, of depth. But that that's a very intense thing to have happen to you early in your life. I wouldn't say it happened to me. I would say I happened upon it. Uh, I have no one to right. blame for that but myself, for sure. Um, but yeah, I was like, you know, it was... Um, I don't know. I was like, uh, I don't know what the draw was. I just, just, I just did it. Uh, it was like me and another friend and I was, it started when I was like, um, I think I was 16. Um, and then, uh, I got kicked out of school for it. Uh, and then my parents <laughs> told me to go to rehab and I was in rehab by the time I was 18. Wow. And since then, are you like, are you sober? Have you been sober like your whole kind of adulthood or is it something you've re- um, at all wrestled with? Um, I come back to, I've never gone back there and I stayed sober from absolutely everything for, uh, at least, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, and I drink alcohol now. Okay. Yeah. That's well, good, man. That's, that's good. I'm glad that, that, uh, that you're, you're doing okay. You know, the, these days with how much focus there is on mental health, especially of musicians, um, you know, I think it's important to talk about and, and, uh, a lot of times it gets kind of pushed aside and, and people don't want to talk about it, but I think it is, it is kind of important. So, uh, so thanks for sharing. I that. mean, like, yeah, no, like I'm, I'm, I got no secrets. I'm, I'm an yeah. open book on that. The, the only thing I, the only thing I do think and I agree with you on the mental health thing. The only thing I don't like is I don't, I don't appreciate when I see celebrities weighing in on mental health issues, like they're a fucking expert and they have no training on the subject, because I think that can be very irresponsible and dangerous. Cause like, you know, when Tom Cruise is sitting there talking about how postpartum depression doesn't exist or like some nonsense like that, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. I think, some, I think some of that shit can be pretty dangerous as well. Um, so like I, I totally agree with you on the mental health thing, but my personal, my personal philosophy is always to talk to someone who has actual training on it and don't look for two celebrities for answers. Well, totally. Especially, I'm sure you have fans that are struggling, especially if they have heard that you had a, a problem with, with drugs in your life and they're going to come to you and they're going to go, Josh, like uh, I'm having trouble. Like, and then they come to me too. And I always say, look, I can give you advice. I can tell you something, but take it with a grain of salt. Please consult a professional. Cause as much yeah, as well, like, you know, I, I can't, I don't want to be responsible if I tell you the wrong thing. Cause I don't fucking know. I'm just a dude. Like I, my life is probably in some ways more fucked up than yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I, I try and be responsible as much as I can. Yeah, absolutely. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I heard you play 13 instruments. Is that correct? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't even think I can name 13 instruments. So, uh, that's, um, but that's impressive. How, how, was it, did you learn all those skills, for, like, I guess, from growing up, having instruments around the studio? Because... You know, a lot of times, like, there isn't just, like, a, I don't know, I assume you play, like, instruments like like woodwind instruments or brass instruments. Those aren't always just kicking around. Um, I think, uh, to me, honestly, like, the multi-instrumentalist thing is, like, yeah, I could play a bunch of stuff, but, like, am I awesome at any of it? No, not necessarily. Um, yeah. But I, I am functional on, it, on all of it. Um, <laughs> and I think, like... I don't know what you think, but like, I think it's like, if you learn music theory really well, and that's kind of really like the language that we're using after that, you, it's just learning techniques. Like you, it's still the same notes. It's still the same, like the notes fit together the same way they do on every other instrument. It's just kind of like figuring out like, how do I make this thing go? You know what I mean? Like, and I, so I don't I, like to me, like, I think like the, the theory thing is the more important thing because you can, you can apply that to every instrument. Absolutely. Well, how did you learn about theory? Was that just trial and error? Did you learn it in school? Did uh, you? I, I kind of, um, a little bit of everything. Like I, I, as a young kid, I could, I could hear it before I, before I knew what it was called correctly, if that makes sense. Like I could hear the difference in things. Um, and then I would uh, like ask my parents questions. Um, and like I said, like my parents, like they would just speak to each other. Like dinner conversation in our family was very, <laughs> very music theater based or, or music right. theory based. Like your dad's, um, your dad's talking to your mom being like, I can't believe this guy wanted to harmonize that whole part in fifths. Yeah, exactly. And your exactly. mom would be like, oh my God. Yeah, that sounds so mechanical. <laughs> and you'd be like, wait, yeah, what does that like, mean, mom? What's a, what's a fifth? <laughs> right? yeah or like my my like our family road trip game would be like my dad would be like okay i'm gonna sing this note using this note using this note using this note everyone go with it and that's a c7 chord like oh, that, right, that was kind of right. like a, yeah yeah no that's 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 very cool well one of my favorite things that you did uh i just love it so much is the pop 101 song um like some of the things you hit on um oh sorry uh, i'm getting another call one second uh, sorry, you're still there. Uh, yeah, I like how you're talking about, well, it's really cool because the things as you talk about them in the songs, you're doing them. And I don't know if the average listener understands that. Like when you say I'm harmonizing in thirds, not fourths, and you harmonize that part in thirds, or you talk about yeah. a one, four, six, four prog chord progression, which, well, I never like actually figured out, but I assume that that's what the song chord progression is, you yeah. know, and it's, it's putting that together like, you know, isn't as easy as maybe people think. Um, actually, the, yeah, that's probably one of the most difficult songs that I've produced, I would say. Yeah, um, especially all the things well, that come in and out of it as you as your subject matter changes, you know. Yeah, it's got a lot of moving parts for sure. Um, and I mean, 
like I, I, I straight up was like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to write a song about writing songs <laughs> and we're going to point out everything that everyone else is doing. And like, it'll, we're going to lightly make fun, but also a bit of a tip of the hat. And like the lyrics are going to descri- describe exactly what's happening in the song at every moment. So I went in with that idea and like, I, I like, because I have a studio, right? So like I record as I'm writing and it's kind of just like a one process. So it was like every time I wanted to change a lyric or I wasn't happy with the lyric, we had to fucking like re-record sections of the song. And like there was like, that, that song took quite a long time to put together. The funny thing was, is like, um, that was the first song that we that we did when we were signed with um, uh, Cherry Tree and Interscope. So that was like going to be our first like big US release. Right. And the funny thing, the funny thing is like, everyone was behind it. Like, all the music industry people were like, oh man, this song's going to be huge. Um, and then we released it and it was initially kind of like music industry people liked it, but um, the sort of like average fan base people kind of rejected it at first because I think I think that was one of the first times I was like, oh, maybe not everyone is like necessarily li- listening to all the lyrics all that clearly. Because like the first, the first responses to that song were like, it's so pop. Like, yeah, listen to the fucking title. <laughs> like, I, I think like at, at, with time and stuff, like now when we play that song at shows and stuff, like now it's a big fan favorite, but like it really like that one like took a long time to, to get people to come around. And I just kind of like that, like that was sort of what I took away from it was like, I think maybe I'm paying attention to the lyrics more than, um, more than everyone else. <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing is not everyone grew up like you, Josh, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. so uh, absolutely. Well, you brought, you bring up the U S and you guys had, I mean, you guys, obviously the success in Canada has been really amazing with, you know, the Juno nominations and awards and the, you know, arenas and, and that you play, but you guys have had kind of a slow start in the States. Like you didn't even play a show until 2010. If I read that correctly, um, yeah. So, um, well, we were we were we were signed by Six O Four Records in Canada, um, which is um, Jonathan Simkin and Chad Kruger's company. Um, and but we were only ever um, distributed and marketed uh, in Canada. We didn't have a deal in the states. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> no one knew who we were, um, and. Then eventually, um, we, eventually we, we decided to just be like, you know what, fuck it. We don't have a, we don't have a label in the States. We don't have a single, we don't have anything on the radio, but let's just go down and see if people come out to the show. Uh, who knows? Um, and they did. Yeah. Uh, and, and sort of since then, every time we go, it's, it's, it's bigger and bigger and bigger. Like we're not doing arenas there, but, um, but it's turned into like somehow we're this, like, we definitely have like a respectable touring business in the States now, which I'm super thankful about. Um, and it's funny. It's like, it's a little bit different than when we tour in Canada, just because like in Canada, like people know, people have known us for a long time. Whereas I think in the States, it's like people that have found us, um, actually, you know, this isn't just the States. It's like Europe is like this and Australia is like this as well. Right. Like people who have found us organically through either word of mouth or online and they found us themselves. So the energy at those shows is a little bit different because it's kind of like we're, we're a bit more of like a rarity, you know what I mean? (laughs) Right. You're you're like, you're kind of like a punk band in those places, right? Canada, you're, you're super mainstream, but no, it must be really different on tour because like, I'm sure maybe you do it. I mean, everybody's different on, on what they, they, 
can get away with, but you're a pretty recognizable guy. I assume like if you're playing somewhere in Canada, it might not be a great idea to, to walk to Harvey's to get a veggie burger or something. Um, but when you're in the States, like you can go, Oh, there's a Del Taco down the road. I'll just go right. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it must just be a different vibe. Like obviously you probably bring less production, less crew, you know, well, probably, yeah, you know, we, stuff like that. Everything's yeah, we, a little smaller. And in some ways that must be kind of fun to like, you know, not have to, to play like a gigantic arena in Canada. You can where this, the barricade is so far. It's like, you can play a show maybe with no barricade sometimes, which kind of must be like a little bit fun to kind of switch it yeah. up. Uh, it, it is fun. Um, you, like, you know, I find like, I don't know if you find this, but like the, like, your bigger shows, you can do like more theatricality, but your smaller shows, shows you get more like intimacy with the with the audience, which is a different vibe. And like, yeah. there's there's something about that. Like, I mean, you know, there's something about like you know playing like a a sweaty packed fucking club where they can't fit in one single more person legally, and there's like a crazy energy in the room. Like that that feeling is uh, it's wicked. Um, we I mean we we do still tour with. Um, probably more production than we ought to when we're touring in, uh, like, cause I want it to still feel like I just wanted to, if we're, if we're on the tour, like the, the show will have like video content and we usually have like a narrative sort of storyline going through. So it's a little, a little bit like a play as well. Right. So like we can do more of that, like bigger video walls and stuff like that in Canada, but we still travel with that stuff in the States. Cause I still want people to feel like they're getting like a pared down version, but it's still the same show. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you talk about the intimacy and, and the crowd and everything. One thing I really like about what you do is live, like the comedy aspect of what you do is is real, but it's obviously all like off the cuff. Like you can plan yeah. your big production and, and all of that. And in some ways there has to be some segues that you have to do, you know, with the set list and the lighting package and all that. But yeah. there are there's stuff like off the cuff that you just come up with that is very good. Like you're obviously a very funny dude. Why? Thank you, sir. <laughs> I mean, uh, where is there? Does that come from any other artists? Because there aren't that many artists that really do that. You know, you take yourself very seriously with songwriting and production. Uh, obviously, but I just but don't take my. Yeah, I just don't take myself all that personally in real life. I I never have. Like I don't know. Like you know you know what I mean. Like. Like, I mean, like you guys have been around for, for, for a while as well. And like, I just feel like, like the music industry can be like, like, it's fucking hard, man. Like it's fucking hard coming up and like trying to get a name for yourself. And I just, I don't think, I don't think I could have sur survived all, like the, the years of like the hard shitty touring in a van where it's yeah. like just you guys and you're loading your own gear and you're sleeping for like two hours and then you're doing it all again. And like all of that stuff. And like, then you show up and there's like fucking three people at your show and someone says you fucking suck and like all of that stuff. <laughs> like, I just feel like, I feel like you, it's, you can't get through your baby band years unless you have a good sense of humor about things or else you're just not going to make it, man. No, absolutely. The people that take themselves too seriously, like, you know, <laughs> um, yeah, I, <laughs> I also, do you ever notice this? Like, um, when you, like we've been fortunate enough to mo to mostly tour with with great artists that are that are really fun, and there's been a couple that are you know have not been, which I won't name. But um, you ever notice though in in the music industry? Do you ever notice that the people who act like a really big fucking deal always suck? Always, like a hundred percent of the time. 
You know, it, like some of the coolest guys I, I've ever met and still talk to you all the time to this day brought us on our first big European tour. They brought you on your first U.S. tour and that's Simple Plan. Those guys are awesome. They're awesome guys. They sound great. They write great songs. They're just, they're the best. And they are, they're very successful, very popular, and they just get it. You yeah, know? And, I totally agree. And it's, it's always the case of, of what you said. 100%, man. You, you absolutely nailed it. It's just like the, the guy, if you need to, like, if you're the kind of person that needs to act like a big deal to the guy who's taking out the trash, you might want to, like, revisit some things. I know. <laughs> yeah, one of, one of my rules is like, in my life, I will never say the words, do you know who I am under any yeah, circumstances? Fucking hell. Um, you know, that's funny that you say Simple Plan. I actually think um, Simple Plan, we did, we toured with them. They did, they did take us in the States. We did a deal, like they did a, uh, it was like, we were at a stage where we were like, that was our album cycle where we did move up to playing arenas in Canada, but we hadn't done an arena tour yet. Um, and so they, we did a, we did a deal where like we would open for them on a Canadian arena tour. If they agreed to bring us into the States for a tour and yeah. it was like a great, we all had a great time and it was, an, it was awesome. Um, but you know what, man, like I'm so glad that we didn't just jump to trying to headline arenas ourselves. And I'm so glad we did an arena run opening for them because first of all, like it, like I had not, I did not have the experience in a, in a room that size and uh, working with those guys, it really taught us how to be classy headliners, like how to treat, like treat the other acts with respect and be nice. And there's still some stuff that I took away from those guys that I learned on that tour. Like for example, like at the beginning of every tour, we always leave a bottle of champagne in the other band's dressing room and say, welcome to the tour. And like, all, like, and that's totally something I learned from those guys. No, absolutely. I, that's stuff goes a long way. Uh, for sure. A lot of times bands do like, Oh, an end of tour, like party. And it's like so funny, especially when you're touring Canada, because the tours are so much shorter than if you're doing a U.S. tour, but sometimes yeah. like, you know, after just a, maybe it's two weeks in Canada or something. Um, uh, by that point, and you maybe only playing ten shows. You haven't like every member of the band and crew. They maybe haven't even really met each other yet. Yeah, so yeah, right. What yeah. we uh, started doing uh, a while back is well, let's have the end of tour party on the first day. Like, yeah, let's get yeah. to know each other on the first day. Why are we waiting till the end to like? You know, it's embarrassing when you're like, oh, by the way, like we haven't formally met. I'm Shane. Like that sucks. <laughs> like, but yeah. so, so that's like, that's another thing that we've taken away, but you're absolutely right. I think Simple Plan took us out in 2006 in Europe and like, yeah, they absolutely showed us the ropes of, of exactly how to act. So that is, yeah. that yeah, is very cool, man. Uh, a couple more things. I don't want to take up your whole, uh, your whole afternoon there in Vancouver, but, uh, your songwriting. I mean, I'm a really slow writer and it takes okay. me a long time to write. I'm sure you're much faster than me. I talked to a guy on the last week's episode who has written, recorded, and released four full-length albums in one year. What? Yes. Yes, he has done Whoa. it. His name is Scott Sellers. He was in a band called Rufio, a punk band, and they're pretty good too. Like, they're good. So yeah, I was going to say, how's the quality control? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's actually, it's actually pretty good, but, um, I'm just wondering, you know, how you go through periods of time. If, if you have periods of time where it's difficult to write, how you overcome that, 
Um, and, and kind of what tips you'd give to, you know, either people struggling with that or slow writers like me. Oh man. Um, I don't know. Like, dude, honestly, like I don't think I'm specifically a fast writer or a slow writer. I think I'm, I just like, I, I don't know what your process is, but like, I, I try and just like listen to what the song wants and I like, I'm like not trying to force it. Like I find like when I try to force an idea, that's when it turns out shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, so, and like just letting a song take as long as it takes. Like I've had songs where like the whole thing just kind of like popped into my head literally in like 30 seconds that's happened. But then I've also had like, um, we, we had, we had a song, um, on our previous album that was called Astoria. We had a song, uh, we had a song called wildfire. And like, that took me like 15 years to write. Like I had the verse, I had the verse like before we released our first album and I just like couldn't find a fucking chorus. So I just put it away and like, just like one day, 15 years later, a fucking chorus popped in my head and I went, Oh, Hey, cool. That goes with that old verse. Sweet. Like I, you know, but, or other songs might just like pop right in. I also find like, um, like for me, like, how do you feel about this? Like when I, when I start to like start to write an album, that usually means we're at the end of a touring cycle. And I feel like I always feel like the first few songs I'm really slow to write because like my writing muscle is out of shape. Yeah. But then like, Towards the end of the writing process, of the, the end of the album process, then ideas are just like falling falling out of me. You know what I mean? Like the like the as the momentum grows, you know. I also yeah, I agree with you completely. I also wonder if it's like a pressure thing too. Is like you get off the road, it's like okay, it's time for a record, and you're putting a lot of pressure yeah. on yourself to come up with something. Whereas when you've already written like, you know, let's just say 10 or 12 songs that you think are pretty good, or you've already recorded a bunch of them then you're like, it's all pressures off. And now it's, now it seems like, you know, if, if only you could have that at the beginning. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of people on this podcast say, yeah, like I got to kind of, you know, shit out a couple bad ones first and get that out of my system. And then, you know, the good stuff, um, you know, starts to flow, but you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah like the, there's definitely like a flow to making an album for me, like for sure. It's not necessarily like, that I need to write a couple of bad songs. It's more just like the first couple are going to, might take me, might take me like, it might take me a few weeks to write and record the first couple. Whereas like, I'll say we sort of like part of our thing has definitely been like, like I try and put like as much sort of passion and stuff into the album tracks as the singles. I, Cause I think I find it kind of like freeing, like doing like, and it's kind of like become one of our like things having sort of like free form, like long eight yeah. minute songs that, and those those songs those are always the ones that i write last like on um and the funny thing is those ones uh usually because i'm coming from a super inspired place because i'm at the end of the album of the album process usually those ones are actually like the ones that are easiest for me like they just kind of like they just fill themselves in like the are um on the album we just did the the last song um is like it's like an eight minute all over the place full symphony kind of song and it was like we had to start <laughs> you're gonna appreciate this i'm sure you've been there we had to start mixing um the mix session for the album started on january 1st <laughs> and and on christmas day i hadn't i had no ideas for what the last song was going to be uh i had zero ideas and hadn't started wow. And the whole thing happened between Boxing Day and New Year's. And it's like a very involved all over the place song. 
somehow like I was just like in the mindset of like I was just like more inspired at that time and I was like also more confident because I knew like I had the rest of the record all, all done you know yeah well having some pressure helps too I think as a songwriter you know um, I wish it didn't I wish it fucking didn't but it does man yeah like some of the best the best lyrics I've ever written I we had like an instrumental and like the next day I knew I had to record it and I wrote it the night before and it's some of, some of my favorite melodies and, and lyrics I've ever come up with. Yeah. Like, and I put myself in a hole and some, sometimes I almost know I'm doing it because I know, okay, this, this is like going to count for real because if I, I know that if I have to record something in like, oh, well, we're not actually going to record this for like two months. Well, I'll come up with something and I'll be like, oh, this line's like fine, I guess. I'll probably change it later. But then I start, right. then I don't end up changing it because I like get used to it and I've like, you know, yeah. it's, 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 it's kind of a, a problem. So as much as my <laughs> band, as much as my band hates when I do that, I sometimes think that that's just the way that I, I work best, you know? Yeah. Like I, I, I agree. Like I, I, I wish that, um, I wish that I didn't do my best stuff under pressure, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what about, the, um, what about call me maybe? Cause that, that's a song that you wrote with Carly Rae Jepsen, uh, obviously a huge hit. And a song that seemingly everyone knows you wrote. Um, uh, like, it's it's kind of interesting. Like, I don't know who wrote, like, when I listen to the radio, I don't know who wrote whatever songs. But for some reason, like, everyone seems to know you wrote Call, Call Me Maybe, which is kind of, like, kind of cool, I guess. But also, you know, it's almost like it's a Mariana's Trench song in some ways. Uh, I don't feel like it's a Mariana song. And I, like, full disclosure, like, Carly and I wrote that 50-50. Like, I, yeah, I can't yeah. take full credit for that. We, they, we, we have equal equal parts of that song. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. that You know, that song was... Um, I, I never saw it... That was a, that was a real surreal experience, That that the life of that song. Um, it was like, at the time, uh, Carly and I were friends and we worked together before, and our only real goal was to get her like a top 40 song, uh, in Canada. Like that was all we were yeah. after. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, like, I, I, I still remember, like I was on vacation. Um, I took my parents to Hawaii and, uh, we were, we were there and the song had already come up and then was, it was going down again in Canada. And then all of a sudden I got a text message from my manager being like, Justin Bieber just tweeted about the song and all hell's breaking loose. And I was kind of like, okay, like uh, that, uh, like that, that's not going to mean much. And I kind of just like right. put my phone down and went about my vacation and like, didn't really think twice about it. And then I got back home a week later and it was like the biggest song on the planet. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> uh, it, was, it was fucking surreal, dude. It was, it was, I was very, uh, and, and, and it had like a weird, crazy life too. Cause it like, it had its radio thing. And then it was like, then it got cool for celebrities to do like lip syncing videos for it. And then yeah. it was a me and it was a this instead of that. And it was just like oh, this huge viral life as well. And I just like, you, you can't, I, I wish I could say there was some magic formula to, to predicting something like that, but there isn't. I, that was like lightning in a bottle. No, no, crazy. there is, there isn't. I, I remember it was, um, uh, Murph from the Wombats who was on the program maybe a month or two ago. And he called songwriting something like he called it like, you know, a, a, like a fucking dark art or something. <laughs> and, you know, and he's like, you know, I go in, I get into this and I start writing songs and like, I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what's going to come out and I don't know what's good. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. And it's never the same. Like every other, you know, uh, 
thing that people do. There's like a process. There, there's like a, a, a sort of a formula. And songwriting you think would be the most formulaic thing on the planet because it's literally every pop song is structured like, you know, only a few different ways you can really do it, you would yeah. think. But that's not true. You can write a song in 30 seconds. Well, maybe not 30 seconds. Five minutes that is popular and you can write a song in five years that's garbage. And to you, yeah. one could be way better than the other. Um, but with with Call Me Maybe, did, did, did you know it had that magic? Did you think it was one of the better pop songs you've, you'd written? Did you think it was in the middle? Did you think it was okay? Or did you just was, not even know? Um, I was happy with it. I don't know. I was right. happy with it. Right. I, uh, like, I think to me, the, the other funny thing with like, you know, hit songs and shit is you, you can do your best and it can be an awesome, it, you, you can have like the best song ever. And it, for whatever reason, it just might not get traction. Like there's so much luck involved in terms of like putting it out there. Like, you know, you could, you could put something out and just like, I found things like personally, like, like eat, what time of year did it come out? Was it yeah. the right song? Was it the right song for the season? Like, I, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. Like we just had a song that like didn't do that well. Um, and I, I don't think it was because of the song at all. I think it's because right now um, you and I both know what Canadian content is and um, we're trying to put out a song in the summer when uh, we have the weekend Drake and Sean Mendez and Justin Bieber all putting out stuff at the same time. There was no room for other Canadians, <laughs> you yeah. know, like that just, it just fucking happens sometimes. Like I remember uh, we were, uh, we were at the radio, uh, the radio station in Chicago on the last tour. And we were talking about that. And the, the, the program director from, from the station said that like Maroon five had had a song ready to go since uh, April and they had held off because they didn't want to compete with all the other artists that like the superstars that were releasing stuff over the summer. And so if a band at that level is having to hold off, we did not have, <laughs> we did not have good luck. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense. They, they do that with movies all the time, right? Like the, yeah. the, they, they put out, you know, they don't want to compete at Christmas or, or in the summertime. So they, you know, like, they put it out in November or they put it out in January or February. Absolutely. It makes yeah, sense to do it so, as a musician. I mean, yeah. you know, we've got, Taylor Swift is releasing something that's like uh, a new Star Wars is coming out. You know, like it's, it's <laughs> tough to compete sometimes. Exactly, man. Well, dude, uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You guys have a UK and German tour coming up. That's uh, yeah, really yeah. soon, November, right? Yeah, we're leaving in like two weeks. That should be fun. Any? Uh, yeah. I mean, anything to tell the people about that? I mean, we have listeners from the UK and from Germany that'll listen, so okay. I'm sure. I'm excited to go. Yeah, I'm excited to go there. Like, uh, like, don't you think like uh, like touring in Europe is just so fun? Like, I like just as a tourist because like I, that's one of the things I really like about touring in Europe is like you, you can kind of be in like a different culture like almost every day, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I love it, and I just I love the German catering so much. That's my favorite part. Oh, oh. And the sausages and whatnot. Oh, dude. Well, I, well, I'm I'm vegan, but uh, they they do it up proper, man. Uh, for vegetarians too, so I'm. I love Germany, man. Uh, so that's coming up. And also, I wanted to ask you about the solo song you put out. I think it was last year. We Should Be oh, Friends, which was a cool a song. Cat. I mean, I mean, is there more coming on that uh, on that front? Oh, that was just... Um, thanks, man. That was, like, honestly, that was just, like, a tune um, I did for my buddy's indie movie. Um, it was a, a guy I went to high school with... Um, 
as a as a filmmaker and stuff, and uh, he had he had managed to it, when he was trying to get like it's super hard for those guys to get like funding for for to make an indie movie like that's yeah. pretty tough. So one of the things they do is like they try and attach as many people to it as possible to because it looks better on the on the forums and stuff. So he had asked me if I would. Um, agree to do a song for for his movie if, if he could get it made, and I was like, yeah, man, sure, fucking it. Um, and then I totally forgot about it, and then like, <laughs> and then like two years went by, um, and then all of a sudden he called me and was like, hey, man, like, so do you have that song? We made the movie, and I was like, oh shit, uh, yeah, give give me a second, and uh, I'll, I'll write something. <laughs> um, and he he sent me over a he sent me over a copy of the like. like Oh, it was like sorry, you know, forty-five sorry, minutes you, too long. So it was like turned, the literally. Hello, sorry, you turned into a robot for one second. Just repeat what that last part. Oh, oh no, it's just like I watched the first cut of the movie, which yeah. was like you know, obviously it's a first cut, so it was like quite long and stuff. But I could get the gist of like what you know what what the movie was about and stuff. Um, and then I just took my dog for a walk, and uh, the song popped out. Uh, but uh, it was fun. It was uh, it was it was fun to do something different like that and do something like kind of like indie and quirky and like not. Um, anything like a Mariana's Trench song. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was fun. That's what I liked about it. I liked that it was a stripped down version, you know, like I, I put it on, I started listening to it and I was expecting like all of a sudden, you know, at the two minute mark, like it to start sounding like Queen. Uh, right. And it never went there. And I was like, you know what? I actually like Josh's voice kind of in this stripped down thing. And I thought it might be a cool project for you to do at some point, you know, is, is boil it down to, you know, I always say a great song, can be boiled down just to a, a melody and chords and uh I, you know it would uh, be it would be cool to hear you you know in that context so i really like the song i just wanted to ask you about that oh yeah thanks man um yeah i don't know i mean i mean maybe who knows well man thank you so much for taking the time speaking with me um what else can we expect from you guys i mean i guess the the record is still pretty new phantoms it's it came out earlier this year are you doing yeah. more shows um what else is up uh, yeah, there's definitely going to be more shows. Um, I think like we haven't done, we haven't done, uh, the, the East, the Eastern side of Canada yet. So we've got to do that. Um, there's, uh, there, we like, we haven't announced yet, but like they're working on, um, Australia as well. Um, so yeah, we got, we got, we got a lot more to do. Uh, and then I'm going to get to work and start the whole writing process again as you do. I love it. Well, good luck with that. I hope that the, uh, the songs come quick and easy this time and, uh, <laughs> not too laborious. Um, but they, I know, <laughs> they, I know they will be, uh, Josh, thank you so much. Uh, I always play music at the end of the show. Do you have a, a Mariana's trench uh, song you'd like to play for the people? Whatever you want. Okay. I'll pick one. Sounds good. Okay. All right, man. All the best. Uh, and enjoy the rest of your day, man. Thanks, Shane. You too. Yeah, thank you. So there it is with Josh and what a story. And we got pretty deep into songwriting there. And I don't pretend to be in the same fucking league as this guy. So it was really cool to pick his brain. And if you're a songwriter, aspiring songwriter or musician in any way, shape or form, there was some gold in there for sure. Thank you, everyone, so much for tuning in. Please, please tell a friend, tell a loved one about this show. Let's keep it going. Have your pets spayed or neutered. Help control the pet population. You know, do all the right things. Eat your vegetables. Call your mother. These are all things you need to be doing. But seriously, if you like the show, please tell someone who you think might be into it. 
I'll be back next week with another episode, another great episode, episode 202, if you're keeping score. But first, I will leave you with the tune. And Mariana's Trench has a lot of good tunes. Make sure, if you're not familiar with the band, you should be. Just go on to Spotify. They got tons of songs, tons of albums, tons to dive into. But I'm going to play this one because it's entertaining and because we talked about it in the podcast. It's called Pop 101. Here it is on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. Music 101, some simple instructions for a good first impression. Now let's start with a first one. A minor chord tensions grow, fade in the bass like so. Now with momentum, go stop and bring the beat back. It's club four on the floor, a beat you can't ignore. I bring sexy back once more. Yeah. They love that yeah. for show. The chords are one, four, six, four. Now I'm talking familiar. Your harmony in thirds, not fourths. We'll take you into the pre chorus. Real quick now, don't you bore us. Hurry up and get to the chorus. Them down, they won't ignore us. Get to the floor. And here's the words you should know. Like DJ.
Joshua Ramsey. Cats and the boots and cats.